From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Spring football may not be quite the same in 2021 as it's been in the past, but it beats the alternative of 2020 when it was canceled entirely. So while fans don't get to be there live to see the reps or root for the orange team and the blue team in April in the swamp, critical development is still happening, especially at the most important position on the field. On this week's show, We'll get to know quarterback Emery Jones and find out what has kept him going all this time waiting for his turn to shine. Then, we'll convene FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter to discuss Mike White's goals in Nashville, the first full scrimmage of spring football, Sully's record-breaking week, and sports and pop culture happenings that we just don't get in the PAT. But first, in a sport where few are willing to wait their turn, Emory Jones has been biding his time in the background, getting ready to take the reins of the Gator offense. The explosion of Kyle Trask made that period longer than most probably expected, but now it's finally Emory's time. We spoke to the redshirt junior earlier this week about his path, his patience, and his persistence. I'm from LaGrange, Georgia. It's a small town um, south of Atlanta probably like 45 minutes. Um, it's not very big. Like growing up, I just used to play sports. And I mean, a lot of guys that I was growing up with, we used to ride dirt bikes and stuff like that around the town since it's not so big. Um, so that's all we used to do, just growing up, just riding dirt bikes, uh, link up at, at somebody's house. We would ride dirt bikes, ride four-wheelers around the house and do stuff like that. So other than riding dirt bikes and whatnot, at some point, uh, I'm sure football got involved. When mm-hmm. did you first start playing football, and, and how did you get into it? Um, all of my family members play sports, and one of my older cousins that I look up to the most, he played um, football, and he was the reason that I started, honestly. But I say I touched my first football at the age of four, started playing flag around five years old, and I've been playing quarterback ever since. So you started at quarterback. I was curious how you became a QB. Was that was that the first thing you wanted to do when you picked it up? Yeah, quarterback, that was always uh, my first um, position that I played. That was uh, the only position that I played. Just because I always wanted the ball in my hands. I wanted to be able to do whatever mm. I could with it. So that was always the most exciting part about it. I'm thinking about you know the way most people start playing, and I feel like everybody wants to be a QB. I'm, I wanted to be a QB. Um, everyone thinks they could do it. At what point did you sort of realize not just that it's something that you wanted to do, but that it's something you had a real talent and ability yeah. to, to do at a high level? Well, growing up, I always just used to go outside and play catch with my cousins. And, like, I was always, like, like I always throw the ball far. Like, like always. Like, even when I was uh, younger. But I would say in middle school, probably, like, sixth grade, I started, like, standing out at quarterback. And a lot of people were just in my ear saying that, that I can be a really good quarterback if I just put my mind to it and focus on that position. So that's what I did. Hmm. Now, you mentioned playing other sports. What else were you into, and, and how did it maybe complement your uh, your quarterback skills? Yeah, growing up, I started playing t-ball. Stopped 
playing that because I was scared to get hit by the ball. So that was the <laughs> only part of baseball that I played. Then um, basketball was always important to me because a lot of my members played. My mom and dad played basketball and then football. But playing basketball, it always helped me because just doing a lot of moving in the open space, I feel like it helped me with my mobility in football and track. It was just, you know, that just helped me get faster. But that just always helped me in football. And I, I got to call you out because you say you stopped playing at the T-ball level, but you're worried about getting hit. Where was that an issue? If you're hitting off the T, were you worried people are going to hit you when you're running down the base pass? No, I was saying like, that's when I stopped playing. Oh, because after, okay. So T-ball. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, I didn't want to <laughs> play fastball. So I did not want to get hit by the uh, pitch. I share that <laughs> feeling. I, I understand that. Um, so, okay, so you mentioned these other sports, now they sort of influenced you. When did you make the decision to really focus in on football and, and leave the others behind? It's actually crazy because I was playing basketball, track, and football in high school. Wow. And I was actually good at basketball. So, like, I really didn't know which sport I wanted to play for real, but I was always, like, more dominant at football. But, um... My sophomore year in high school, I broke my leg in like the first, no, in the second round of the playoffs on the first play of the game. Oh, wow. And so that was close to basketball season. So I missed basketball season that year. And I played my junior year. And it was just, when I missed that, that, that sophomore year of basketball, I really just, I mean, I had a love for the game still, but football, like I was just trying to get back healthy for football. It's fair. Do you ever think about maybe how it would have been different if, if you hadn't had that injury? Would that maybe have changed your course? I mean, I don't think so because like football, like it's always my, like it was always my first love. But basketball, it was always just, just fun to me. I love just playing basketball. I still play right now. So as you became a, a star and uh, football was the key, what do you remember about the recruiting process and, and when that started up and, and what it was like going through that? Yeah, um, I got my first offer in the ninth grade by Coach Mullen hmm. at Mississippi State. Wow. So that's exciting. And that kind of kicked off for me. My sophomore year, I'll say that was my like one of my best years of high school. And that's when most of my offers rolled in. And growing, I mean, that was just a fun time for me because I was just like visiting a lot of schools and being from a, from a small town, not many people from that area with being able to do that. Mm -hmm. So I shared that moment and it was just, it was just fun to be able to go different places and um, see different places. And, enjoy, and I really was just enjoying it, but I committed to Ohio state before the first game of my junior year. And I kind of stuck with that until my early signing day. And I flipped to Florida. And that reason was because coach Mullen had just got the offer here, he just did a job, and I was one of the first guys that he contacted, and I told him I wanted to be his quarterback. And I, like we always kept a, a close connection since he offered me first, and I just felt like it was the best place for me to be. Hmm. So you came into the program and had a chance to to understudy and work behind some uh, some pretty big guys. So I want to start by talking about Felipe. Um, what was it like working with him in the quarterback room, and, and what did you ultimately learn from him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, coming in, I honestly did not think it would be how it was. I thought it was going to be, like, real competitive with me coming in. But I came in, and he kind of took me under his wing 
and really taught me everything about like, not just football, but college life, how to manage being a quarterback in college. And he just always stayed on me and made sure I was I just always doing the right thing. And he just helped me out with a lot of things. So in the last couple years, you then had a chance to play behind a, a Heisman Trophy finalist who obviously came out of nowhere to get to that point. Um, what did you learn from from playing with Kyle, from being in, in the quarterback room with him? Right. Uh, well, me and Kyle kind of had the same story here at the University of Florida. Um, he really just taught me a lot about patience and just being ready whenever your time comes. And I definitely, like, he definitely helped me out with that right there. And just seeing how he like operates, being a starting quarterback, just how he walks around the facility, how he's taking notes in the classroom and, and stuff like that. It just definitely opened my eyes and helped me out. Yeah, I think the, the dynamic is so interesting in that quarterback room because, as you said, you know these are the guys who took you under their wing, but at the same time, they're the biggest reason that you aren't on the field, right? So right. How, do, how does that relationship work? Because you know, there's only one quarterback. There could be a lot of other – there could be a lot of receivers in the field, a lot of backers. There's only one QB generally. So how does that relationship work, and, and how has it worked for you? It honestly was kind of cool because I knew my role on the team. I know I had to get better. I know I had to develop. And Coach Mullen, he always stayed in my ear about development. And he told me to watch the guys in front of me. And that's what I did. And it, and it definitely helped me out a lot. So many people, probably nine guys out of 10, would have left, right? You're that one out of 10. Right. What do you think it is that kept you? Was it those relationships? Was it, is it something from you know back home, the way you were, were brought up? What do you think made you stick with this when so many others would have left? It was definitely... A lot for me. It definitely was hard for me. But like I said, I was just watching Kyle and his time. Like when it was his time to take over, he did. And it was all the work that he put in before he got the chance. I just knew I was kind of on the same path. So like that definitely like helped me out. And just watching him like take over and be a Hollywood finalist, like definitely just like that was exciting. I had to be able to watch that. When because of that, you've been part of a lot of big moments. You've been a teammate. They haven't been your moments, but you've been there for them. I'm curious, right. before this becomes your story, what are some of the moments that stand out to you from your, your first few years as a Gator when you were on the sideline, but you were part of something special? One of my uh, most exciting times in the song probably was in 2019 against Auburn when uh, PYM broke. That was probably the craziest thing I, I saw. That probably wasn't the, the loudest stadium I've been in. And I'll say the SEC championship this past year, that was a very fun game and exciting game to watch. Away from the field, and we talked about some of the things you did growing up in LaGrange, but since you've been in Gainesville especially, what do you do when you have some time away from football? Yeah, I'm one of the guys that really hangs around by the teammates a lot. So I really try to like be around my guys and have them come over to the house. And we'll play the game, chill. Like Sometimes I grill. Okay. Yeah, I really like the grill for them boys. <laughs> I imagine that makes you pretty popular. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so this makes a perfect question then. Uh, I'm hoping we do not have to do another quarantine. No one wants to do another quarantine. But if yeah. we did, which teammate would you choose to quarantine with? Who could you most tolerate one-on-one for a, a long period of time? Uh, that's a tough question right there. I'll probably say... My roommate, Damian Pierce. How come? What is it? What is it about him that what what works about that relationship? Um, I said that because 
he was my roommate, um, like, ever since I early enrolled. And, like, he learned, like, how I operate. I learned how he operate. And we got a lot of rules in the house, stuff <laughs> like that. So we already got our boundaries set. Yeah. <laughs> what are what are some of those house rules? Well, first thing, I'm, I'm a real clean, neat guy. I okay. don't like messy, messy house. So, um, yeah, one of the first rules I say, we definitely clean up after each other. And we both have dogs, so we definitely have to clean up after the dogs. So you can probably see where I'm going with this. I want to flip it around. Yeah. Uh, I've gotten th- this is my favorite question I've asked the guys in the last year. Who is the guy you could least handle doing a long term quarantine Jacob with? Copeland. That didn't even take long. Wow. Okay. Jacob <laughs> tell tell us why. If y'all don't know Jacob, he's a very <laughs> very wild guy. Not wild in a bad way. He's a lot to deal with. Okay. He's not. He's he not does. chill. Nah, he definitely not chill. He's okay. just a lot to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what you've been doing on, on the practice field here in spring. How are these practices different from fall practices? What, what is this time really useful for? Well, I say in spring, it's definitely more for the reps and just just working on like the technical stuff and just 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 trying to be on point with our technique and stuff like that. So like for me, my reps definitely double from like from the fall. So I get a lot of reps, a lot of time to see a lot of different defenses and go against different guys. And a lot for the young guys, especially, it gives them time to um, dig into the playbook and learn a lot of stuff and just do a lot of like technique and work on like, all the techniques and stuff like that. So I say it's definitely the biggest thing is development for the spring. I, I did want to ask you about, about Anthony Richardson because you talked earlier about the role that Felipe and Kyle played in your development and helping you come along. And now it's reversed. And now you're one of the older guys and he's the young guy coming in. Um, what's that relationship been like developing that? And how much does it sort of remind you of role reversal from a few years right. ago? Well, we all like understand our roles. Like he was here last year when I was backing up Kyle. So we definitely had a close relationship then. I was trying to like help him out with a lot of stuff and just make sure he's doing the right things. And like right now, like we still have a close relationship. We play around a lot. That's my guy right there. But um, he definitely pushes me like every day, like to be better. And that's what I do with him. And we all just bring the best out of each other. In what ways do you think you've grown the most as you you know go into a year where for the first time you're the you're the guy? How do you think you've grown the most and have built up toward this opportunity? Well, I'll say the biggest thing that I've like, improved on is honestly just being more comfortable. Like now, this is my fourth time like going through all this. I didn't seen uh, most of all the defenses and been like throwing out of these guys for like for a while. So I mean, I'm just more comfortable and just ready to show everybody what I can do. Hmm. Um, in terms of players that you you look up to at the next level, who are some of the quarterbacks who who you've watched over the years that have influenced your game? Right. Well, my favorite quarterback is. Aaron Rodgers. Hmm. My second, I'll probably say Deshaun Watson. And I'll say Deshaun because we actually have the same quarterback trainer. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, and in the offseason, we like, we train a lot together. So we definitely have a, a close relationship. He helps me out a lot. He actually talked to me before I 
um, signed to Florida and told me this is probably one of the best uh, places for me to go. Oh, wow. But, but yeah, I say those two probably my favorite NFL quarterbacks. You know, a lot of people have someone they look up to, and it's just, you know, if they watch them on TV, they see them from afar. What's it like having a personal relationship with one of the best quarterbacks in the world? Right. Um, well, I say he just give me like all the ins and outs of the NFL and stuff like that. He tell me like everything that I need to focus on. And even in college, he even been through it, went to the national championship. So he just just tells me everything that I that I need to do and need to work on to be that guy at this level. Final question for you. Um, it's not a secret that this offense has lost a lot. Uh, you got multiple guys that are probably going to be first-round picks in a, in a month, and uh, a lot of people wonder, okay, well, what's next year look like without all these pieces, without these All-Americans? What are your expectations for this offense? What are what are people maybe not thinking about that you know is going to be a big deal for this season? Yeah, well, I say uh, this uh, this team this year, the offense will be very explosive. So we have a lot of different weapons. We have a lot of different outlets and stuff in our, our offense. So we definitely will be exciting to watch. Well, Emery, we really appreciate the time and uh, wish you a lot of luck as you continue through spring and, and into the fall. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. In a normal year, basketball teams have about four months to learn who they are and hopefully work out the kinks before March. This has hardly been a normal season, but March is here anyway, as time stops for no one. At this point, you are what you are. And to open our roundtable, Chris made it very clear what the Gators need to do at the SEC tournament. What do they have to do? They got to win that first game. Um, you know, you, you have to win at least a game in the, in the Southeastern Conference tournament, and not because you need to win it to go to the NCAA uh, tournament. That's, that's going to happen. But uh, going there with a three-game losing streak um, is bad mojo all the way around for the program. Um, the last two games uh, for this basketball team, the Missouri game, and I know there were a lot of people disappointed with how the Missouri game ended. Missouri's a good team. I mean, we talked after that game, Adam, last week. Uh, you know, Missouri's a team that beat Alabama. Missouri's a team that won at Arkansas. Missouri's a team that beat Illinois early in the season. They can be a, a one seed in the NCAA tournament. Um and they came in and, and, and won that game. Florida's uh, performance in the season ender Sunday at Tennessee, uh, you know, didn't do a lot to, to inspire enthusiasm heading in the postseason. But, you know, call, call like it is, you know, you, you go there without Trey Mann, who is the reigning SEC player of the week on a team that really, need, that really needs his, his point production. Uh, that was going to be a difficult get on the road. Um, so it's, it's two losses going, going to the SEC tournament. You got to beat either uh, Texas A&M or Vanderbilt. Then you get to play Tennessee again, and anything can happen in that game, uh, especially if you got all your bullets. Um, Tennessee is a, is, is a team Florida beat by 26 without Colin Castleton and Scotty Lewis earlier in the season, a team that lost by 11 points without Trey Mann on the road. Um, ideally, what Florida, what Florida needs to do more than anything is, is – they got to play harder than they did at Tennessee. I mean, there there were possessions that, to me, you know, just jumped out that that you know one team was trying harder than the other. Uh, and I wrote wrote about this. I point to an early possession in the in the second half in a four. Florida's up by four. Tennessee got five shots and four offensive rebounds. And it, and before the fir- before the first media timeout, Eves Pons, who was he was the last year of twenty twenty defensive player of the year he had seven rebounds in the half 
Wow. You know, three minutes and, and, and 51 seconds, six of them were offensive rebounds. I mean, that's, that's attitude. That's want to, um, you know, and, and I see what happens in practice here. These guys, they go over uh, defensive rebounding drills constantly and you got to get a body on somebody. And now having said that Trey Mann, the last uh, in the previous two games, one of the reasons he won SEC player of the week was that he got 21 rebounds in those two road wins at Auburn and Kentucky, including 13 at Auburn. So he's a guy who's been willing to rebound down and box out and do what it takes to get a little dirty inside. Florida didn't have any of that in that game. And, and it showed, and it was, it was obviously, obviously disappointing. I mean, Anthony Drugge had 11 rebounds against Missouri. He had two in 28 minutes against against Tennessee. Wow. Now, Tennessee gets credit. Tennessee is a hard-playing team, but Tennessee is also a team that has hits off nights also. Um, Florida, uh, you know, in the last few years, hasn't, or last, I'd say, since 25th, since Billy Donovan's last season uh, here, hasn't done great in the SEC tournament. Only once has made it to, to Saturday. You know, uh, is it a lot to ask to get to Saturday? No, you can beat, you, you know, you can beat Texas A&M or Vanderbilt, and, and you can beat Tennessee, you know, whether you will or not, you know, I don't know. Uh, uh, Texas A&M is a team that, that's only played two games in the last, um, I want to say, uh, three and a half weeks. Uh, Tennessee will be a well-rested team, having played just one game in the last two weeks, that one against Florida. So um, Trey Mann's got to pick up where he left off a couple weeks ago. Uh, Colin Castellan has to get a little more beastly inside. Uh, Tyree Appleby has to control his turnovers like, like he did in the Tennessee game. He was pretty good that day, 19 points. He only had three assists, but hell, Florida only scored six baskets in the whole second half. Wow. So uh, people are saying, well, we need more assists on this team. Yeah, you, you know how you get assists? By people putting the ball in the basket. And for this particular team, uh, that hadn't been that much of a problem this season when you consider uh, Florida ended the year first in the, in the SEC in field goal percentage, first in three-point percentage, first in uh, uh, free throw percentage. I mean, it was a pretty uh, solid offensive numbers, pretty consistent offensive numbers across the board. But I think they were uh, three for 21 uh, from the three-point line against Tennessee. Tennessee wasn't great from out there, but they didn't have to be great out there because they were great inside. And uh, I think Flora's overall thing heading into the um, heading into the SEC tournament is to is to play harder and to be more aggressive. And one of the people I'd like to see more aggressive, Omar Payne is shooting 75.6 percent from the floor this year that leads the team. Now, granted he's only taking 45 shots, but that's not a small sample. It's he's 34 or 45 from the floor. He's taken two shots over the last three games in 34 minutes. Wow. Get aggressive guys. Uh, you're the season's winding down. You only got so many more chances. Um, you know, they, they have to obviously put on a better showing than they did uh, um, in their, in their last game against Tennessee. Just to, to put a bow on it. Bottom line is there any doubt in your mind that Florida is an NCAA tournament team, regardless of what happens in Nashville? No, there is no doubt in my mind. And they will be the only team uh, in the Southeastern Conference, unless Kentucky wins the tournament this weekend. Um, they would have to win four games to do that, which is possible, of course, if they get it together. But if Kentucky does not win the SEC tournament, they're not going to the SEC, they're not going to the NCAA field, and Florida will be the only team uh, in the Southeastern, from the Southeastern Conference to have made the last four. And Duke will probably not make it. And 
Uh, Syracuse. I mean, this is just, it's just crazy. You look at the teams that might not make it. I'm I'm waiting for when the bracket is revealed. The stat of the last time Kentucky, Duke, maybe North Carolina didn't make the field. I mean, it's again, this is it's what we've come to expect. Just weird things happening uh, all across sports, no question. Uh, I want to turn our attention to uh, to spring football, Scott. I know we've, we've done weekly check-ins, and this week, obviously, we were lucky enough to hear from Emory Jones uh, and, and get a little sense of, you know, what he's experiencing out on the practice field with all those first-team reps. But what's the latest since we last touched based on, uh, on spring football and, and their progress? Well, Adam, I mean, the big thing that's happened really in the last week, they had their first scrimmage uh, last Friday night. It was supposed to be Saturday, but they had some inclement weather expected on Saturday. So they moved it up to Friday night, the swamp and just another chance through the spring to get a better gauge on what guys can do and maybe who can contribute. And, uh, you know, Dan Mullen, who, you know, he's kept it really close to the vest, uh, this spring in his, in his media conferences, uh, the media reporters, they were trying to get something out of him specifically. He, he didn't give much. I mean, he, you know, it was very general in terms of, of what he was willing to talk about. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned Emory Jones. That's, as we've talked before on this podcast, I mean, it, it, he's been at the focus, I think, him and the defense because of the of the change uh, in quarterback from Kyle Trask to Emory Jones. And there's a lot of intrigue with Emory because we've seen flashes of what he can do. And if, if there was one interesting nugget, I think, that came out of Mullen's last press conference, at least – Everybody jumped on it because he, you know, he said something. Yeah, it wasn't too surprising if you watched two guys play, but they were asking about the difference between Emory's arm and Kyle Trask's arm, and you know, he says, "Well, he, th- he thinks Emory has a stronger arm, can make some throws down the field uh, that maybe Kyle didn't." Of course, Kyle, his accuracy was really what made made him so good. So, uh, you know, and if you saw Emory, I still remember probably the first deep ball I saw Emory throw in a game. It was at against Georgia against over Georgia, yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah. I it, it was actually incomplete or there was a penalty or something to play. It was, yeah, it was, it was a perfect ball, but it, because the, the Georgia DB knew he was beaten, he just yeah. yanked him down and, and took the, the PI instead of giving up the bomb. Yeah, but I think that answered any questions in my mind, at least whether or not Emory Jones can throw a deep ball. I mean, he's, he's got the arm. He throws a really good-looking deep ball. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a tight spiral. So, you know, that was something that you heard about this week. Uh, and then you got Anthony Richardson, who, you know, I actually went out, just watched a bit of the uh, scrimmage from up in my, you know, the stadium area where my office is. And I wasn't out there long because I was going to another event. But, you know, I saw Anthony Richardson. He, he made some nice throws in my brief time watching. So it's just another element there uh, with those two quarterbacks. I think, you know, we, we know that Emory Jones, we've seen what he can do. We saw a little bit of Anthony Richardson in the sugar, I mean, the cotton bowl. Uh, but, you know, he's got more size than Emory, uh, does some different things maybe. So I won't be surprised, you know, to see those guys mixed in there. But, I mean, it's still Emory is the, the guy, I think maybe uh, – You'll just see Anthony Richardson get get turns like Emory has the last couple of years. So, uh, other than that, I think the defense are those guys improving. Uh, are they finding some new players on that side of the ball who can contribute? Uh, I think that's really where a lot of the focus has been. And you know, Mullen talked about that too. He was asked, considering what happened with the defense last year, 
is he taking a more active approach in that side of the ball this spring? He downplayed the question saying that, you know, he's always involved on that side, but uh, he certainly has faced more questions this spring about the defense than he usually does <laughs> uh, just because of uh, some of the uh, drop-off in the production of that unit last year. But, you know, two guys we've talked about, I think, on this show, uh, the two defensive tackles, Antonio Shelton and Daquan Newkirk, they're still getting uh, still getting mentioned. So they're doing something out there. They really love Newkirk's uh, energy and just his attitude that he's brought to the team. Uh, uh, I think that's going to be a, a change. I don't know if he can do what John Grenard did as a player, but I think he's energized that, that unit some. Uh, and, again, I, I think there's just so many unknowns there. Ventrell Miller, we spoke to him this week. He was saying that he really likes some of those young guys that – are getting their first taste of Florida football right now through this spring. But, you know, we're going to hear a lot of the same talk, Adam, come fall camp. So I'm one of those people, unless there's some real hard news in the spring, I don't put too much stock in it. There's not going to be any stories or anything that we're not going to be talking about again in the fall uh, that's happening this spring. And for the Gators, Mullen did say first scrimmage, the good news was they came out of it healthy. So, you know, that that's always a coach's uh, main goal, I think, when you when you go out and scrimmage this time of year uh, to make sure that they, they come out healthy. So not exactly the most sexy uh, <laughs> topics, Adam, but that's that's where the Gators are this spring. It's just a chance to uh, to get better and to get to do what they missed out on last year. The word development. I think I've heard that word about I don't know, a couple hundred times this spring. You heard it from memory a lot, too. I think that the players are well aware of what this time is for um, and, and how they need to take advantage of it. You know, big picture for sure. Uh, I want to turn our attention to baseball now. And we, we teased this last week, Scott, and we talked about some of these things that were on the horizon. Uh, and then since then, they have uh, they have come to pass both in a good way and a, a bad way. Kevin O'Sullivan did become the winningest coach in Florida history on Tuesday night in that same game. Jacob Young's record 30-game hitting streak came to an end. So uh, some some good, some bad, but for the most part, a lot of news coming out of a midweek baseball game in March, which does not happen very often. Yeah, Tuesday night baseball at Florida Ballpark. A few different elements uh, that made it more interesting than normal. Uh, we'll start with Jacob Young because I think what he did, you know, 30-game hitting streaks are hard. Glad I wrote about him uh, Earlier this week, before that thing, you didn't talk to Tim Olson, the guy's uh, streak he broke from uh, uh, what from 2000, so 21 year old record that Tim Olson's on since then. He went on to play in the major leagues. Uh, now Jacob Young's far from there, but he has his place in the Florida record book with that 30 game hitting streak. And of course, the uh, really interesting part of that is that it did extend over three seasons. I mean, mm-hmm. it started right at the end of the 2019 season. Then, of course, the 17 games last year, and then you add on, uh, what, the first 10, uh, 12 this year. My math uh, might be off there, but uh, he, he's a guy that, you know, that his teammates really like him. He, he's just one of these dirt dogs, as they love to say, always has his uniform uh, dirty, but he uh, went 0 for 4 uh, on Tuesday night, struck out a couple times, popped up a couple times, didn't really come close to get a hit, so uh, he'll have to start a new one, but he's one of the SEC's leading hitters, so it won't surprise me to see him kind of stay at that place all year. He's a leadoff hitter. 
the Gators rely on him to kind of set the tone up there and, and get on base a lot, and that's his game. Uh, but the bigger story on that night was Kevin O'Sullivan. As you said, he, he won career game number 557. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a lot of that's a lot of wins, Adam. Really is. Uh, you know, he's only he's done it in really only he's in his 14th season, and of course they play more games now. Uh, it took Dave Fuller 28 years uh, back in his coaching mm-hmm. career, uh, but if you feel compare where they are in their careers. Sully's actually coached 102 games less at right now than Dave Fuller did over his career. So, you know, he did it pretty quickly. You know, he's built a really great program. That's a reason why, you know, they can build a park over there, a new baseball stadium. And, you know, it's an exciting time to be around the program. And, you know, baseball is different than the other sports in, a, in some ways because it's just a day-by-day, even-kill kind of approach. But, you know, Sully afterward. Uh, he, he's not one to like to talk about himself very much, mm-hmm. but he, he gave in and said, look, it's a special night. Uh, you know, when you reach a milestone like that, uh, it, it's something that, you you know, you cherish. The team gave him a ball after the game uh, in honor of the victory. And, you know, he, he really took it back to uh, when he first got hired. I mean, Jeremy Foley uh, took an opportunity on a young coach who came here from Clemson, uh, had never been a head coach, and I think it's been a good decision. Uh, what seven trips to College World yeah. Series, uh, one of the program's only national titles. So you know when you uh, when you look at Kevin O'Sullivan, he's always going to be linked there to Jeremy Foley in some ways, and you can make an argument that you know that's going to go down certainly as one of Jeremy's best tires, and it certainly has uh, made a huge impact on the Florida uh, baseball program. Well, it's an interesting point too, Scott, because I think it highlights one of the things that Jeremy Foley did so well, which is identify the next thing, right? Not go get someone who's already had success and is established, but find someone who is going to be maybe an assistant on the rise who can take the reins. Sully's a great example. Jenny Rowland was an assistant coach, hadn't been a head coach before she took over gymnastics. So that that is kind of an MO when you look at that that you know, past 25, 30 years in Gator history, that ability to pick the next big thing. Yeah, I mean, he did it, you know, obviously starting with Billy Donovan, although uh, Billy D was a head coach uh, at Marshall when he came to Florida. Head coaches for brief period. I mean, the ones yeah. you know, we're talking about, Tim Walton, Billy Donovan, Becky Burley, they were head coaches with very short resumes at the time. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, all those guys or all those folks you mentioned there, I don't know if any of them were 30 when they got hired, so... They were young. They were up and coming. I think all, I think all of them were thirty when they got hurt. <laughs> were they? Yeah, they're all was like Billy thirty. Uh, uh, yeah, I think he was thirty when he coached his first game. Yeah, was I mean, Becky? Wasn't Becky like 27 20, or something? Twenty-six. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she was young. And Sully made Sully's fifty-two now, so he was thirty. Well, there was as something. Well. I mean, they're Roland, Tim Walton, uh, Rhonda Fain, um, J.C. Deacon. They were all they're all like thirty or thirty-one when they got hurt. Yeah, so they were young. Uh, you know, they weren't. They certainly uh, you couldn't describe any of them as uh, seasoned veterans. I don't think when they got hired, right. but you know, they were all they were uh, young people like me, right? Young people like me. I'm right, still young, right? right? I'm no, still right. no, they were young, accomplished. <laughs> God, uh, put it, put it, put it on a tee for me, Adam, next time. So. Oh man, but. But yeah, going back to your point, Adam, 
uh, that that's been a trademark of a Florida coaching hire, certainly uh, under Jeremy Foley, and uh, those things have worked out. And I don't think many work many have worked out any better than uh, Sully. Certainly not in baseball. I think uh, if you ask anybody around uh, in 2021, say if you were to say, "Hey, list your two or three best coaches in the college game right now," I think Sully's going to make the list of about everybody really. Uh, just from what he's been able to do, and uh, it, it was a, it was a, it was a cool moment to you know see him uh, get that, and uh, and you know they still got a lot of work to do this season. So he's he's got bigger things in mind, Adam. But it was it was a different kind of Tuesday night at the ballpark. Yeah, great Tuesday night indeed, and uh, hopefully hopefully more midweeks have cool storylines like that going forward. Usually they don't, so that, that was kind of a, a unique night in that sense. Uh, I want to move on to our PAT, which is inspired by the the Prince Harry and Meghan Markle interview with Oprah and all of the the hullabaloo about them and this break from the royal family and whatnot. Uh, and, and the reason I'm thinking about this is because I, I watched, I think I watched five minutes of it because my fiance is really into it. I said, oh, I'll see a little bit. And then I left and I think I watched the All-Star game for a little bit. Um, but here's the thing. The royal family, all this stuff... I just, I don't get it, right? It's something that I just don't understand. Why is this a big deal to so many people? I can't wrap my head around it. So that was making me think about what are other things that are, are big in some parts of society that, that we just don't understand, that just don't click. So I, I give that to you guys. It's a very open-ended opportunity to air a grievance or two, which I know Chris loves that, any opportunity to do that. But something that you just don't get that society says you should care about. Well, I imagine you, you I imagine we'd all get the whole royal family thing more if we were on the other side of the pond, you know? But I mean, I, I don't know if you saw it happen to Piers Morgan. Like, yeah, the, the guy, had, he a, had. The guy had a meltdown <laughs> over the thing. And the only reason I know, of course, is it's on Twitter. And, and it's, you know, I, I, did not, I did not watch the interview. I, of course, I read stories about it and what have you. But, um, I'm going to go, I guess I'm taking a chance with this one for God's sakes. I, that, and we're going to stay across the pond, the whole obsession with um, soccer. <laughs> and, 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 and just, just not, not because soccer is not a great sport and everything, but I mean, there's so many soccer championships. It seems like so many leagues going yeah. on. And, and I mean, are they playing, is it, are they playing for the 21 championship? Are they still playing the 20 season? And this is premier this. And what are the other leagues? I mean, you're into this, Adam. What are they? That's i I'm, I'm a recovering soccer person. Okay. So, but I mean, there, uh, I don't know the answer. I mean, that's, I, I agree with you that the competition structure does not make a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and I don't think that they do a great job of explaining it, but then again, it's, it's the most popular sport in the world. They don't have to explain it to, to me for God's sakes. It's just up to me to, to try to figure it out. And, and, you know, of course I could, I could choose whether, whether, whether to do that or not. I mean, I'm not saying anything about the athletes, believe me. They're phenomenal, but I do get the leagues all mixed up. Just like I kind of get them up mixed up over here. Are there more than one leagues here, or is it just MLS here? There's MLS, and then you have the lower divisions that are the essentially the minors. The minors. This, um, the American soccer structure is mm-hmm. actually pretty simple relative to what they have overseas. Mm-hmm. I probably should have given a more a more uh, a, a better answer like uh, the Bachelor. Because I yes, do not I, understand. I that. agree with you again on that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, my wife does not watch it. Scott, 
Does Kate watch it? Uh, she no, she did for a little while, but not anymore. Man, it's very it's very concerning to me at the moment how much I'm aligning with with Chris. Um, it's making me start to question things about myself, actually. And and, and it should. <laughs> it, I get. I guess maybe it should make me question things about myself too. I I get. We both have to go back to the drawing board after this conversation. That's right. Uh, I'm doing this show with some troubled guys here. Uh, <laughs> No, you know, uh, this is certainly, a, like you said, Adam, it's an open-ended question. It's almost one of those, uh, you know, you get off my lawn kind of questions. Because, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, no matter who you talk to, they're going to have some stuff they don't like. But just in terms of what's going on in our popular culture right now, I, I'm like you guys. I, I did not watch a second of the royal couple interview. And you guys have actually read more than I have. I, I just don't care. Uh, you know, I just, it, it's just a part of the world that I just don't care. I'm not, I've gotten so far away from celebrity news. I don't care what Brad Pitts thinks about the government right now. I don't care what Oprah thinks about soccer. I just don't <laughs> care. You know, and that's something you get when you get older, the celebrity thing, you, you kind of just start looking at it in a whole different light. Uh, whereas, okay, he's famous because he made some good movies that I even maybe liked or she did. Mm. Well, I don't care what they think about the NFL. I mean, I <laughs> like their movie. I just don't care what they think about the Eagles quarterback, you know? <laughs> okay. But anyway, um, a couple of things on one division, uh, it's, it seems to be booming. <laughs> I just, I just don't know anything about it. And what's the deal with the non fungible tokens that, are going about right now, uh, you know the the cryptocurrency. You talking about Bitcoin? Bitcoin? Yeah, well, Bitcoin, and there's a lot of different ones. But what uh, what the hell is Bitcoin? That's a, yeah. <laughs> well, I was reading a story Bitcoin. this morning about how digital ownership is the rage right now. Yeah. And all I'm thinking, all I'm thinking in my head, sounds like it's the greatest ripoff going right now. I mean, digital ownership. I mean. What what is that? I mean, but anyway, that's that's just me going down my get using my get off the the lawn free card that I was handed here. Uh, so there there's a lot of stuff like that, Adam. But but in terms of sports, I do have one, and I don't know, and I'm certainly I think in the minority here because it's so popular. I'll just I'll just never really quite fully grasp. You're gonna say it. people watching other people play video games. That is certainly one of them. That's it was, not it. it. Was, I thought I had it. No, it was the obsession with just the MMA and stuff. The okay, the brutality of that. Like I'm a boxing fan. I think there's some art in boxing. There's some endurance. I just, but just seeing two guys get in and try to kill each other in three minutes. I, I just like my I like my brutality with a little more artistic flair. A little more nuance to it. <laughs> yeah, a little more nuance. So, but you know, it's hugely popular. You go to ESPN's website now, and they'll have a. Sometimes that's their number one story above the NFL. Or I mean, every Saturday night, there's a big, there's a championship fight. How many yeah, championships huge, are there? I guess yeah, every for, for every weight I, class, I guess. I, mean, I think for every soccer division, they have a, a fight. So yeah, it is, Chris. It's the same kind of bringing it full circle. It's the same kind of thing. Where the structure of it, if you have a championship every single week, 
what is the most meaningful or what does this mean relative to that? Plus, are I there, are the there different thing. are there different uh, federations or, or organizations? I think that, yeah, because there's, there's yeah. UFC and I think there's like Bellator. I don't, maybe UFC bought all of them. I, I, I don't, don't do MMA either. Right. Um, but yeah, it's the same kind of thing where there's just not it's it's very clear, like who is the best football team is who wins the Super Bowl, who wins the national championship uh, with these other sports. There's just there's a lot of I guess it's like it's brand confusion, right? It's brand confusion. That's what we'll call it. OK. Yeah. Well, one thing that we do get is great content from Chris and huh. Scott on FloridaGators.com. Uh, you can also find it on Twitter at Gators Scott at Gators Chris. Uh, of course, follow Chris for everything going on with basketball this week and uh, obviously next week even bigger. So we will touch base on that before the big dance gets underway. But for now, thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Adam. I'm, I've got to go check my Bitcoin account. <laughs> thank you, Adam. I'll go read on Urban Dictionary what the hell Bitcoin is. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.